I think this is a great time of year to do that as we anticipate uh, the new year that we are in, having recently begun. It's a good time to remind ourselves that God's promises are sure. He has promised to come again, and He will do it. We don't know when. We're not setting dates and times, but we are to be watchful. We are to be alert. We are to be ready whenever that moment comes. Ready. I hope you're watching, and I hope that today is an encouragement in light of that. Follow along with me in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. But of that day and that hour, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father will be. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But you know well, this, good morning. the master of the house had known what hour the thief was Pleasure to see you all today. I trust his house to be you enjoyed the little there snowflakes that we got this morning. If you saw him, if you didn't, well, it was snowing. So, anyway, uh, just a few brief announcements. First of all, uh, there will be a business meeting following the service today, so uh, join us for that. And everything is kind of back on the regular schedule, so uh, youth group on Monday night, Awana uh, Wednesday night, adult Bible study Wednesday morning. And uh, for Awana, just bring some boots, bring some buddies, and get some bucks. So uh, make note of that. Also coming up uh, next week, we'll have Jack Moyer with us just for a short uh, bit of the service to kind of get an update of uh, the building project and what's going on at Camp Gilead. And also uh, January 18th, 6.30, Ladies' Night Outreach. Um, looks fun. Uh, soup and slippers, so bring your favorite pair of slippers for women only. And if you have any questions, you can see Christy Bidwell. And then um, Don Mogford, January 30th, will uh, be sharing from Shepherd's Ministry. Do have a, uh, we are signed up for... I only agree with part of what she says. I think there'll be more than 20 million. Other folks have written about it, claiming similar kinds of things from a New Age uh, vantage point. And what I find interesting and a little bit fascinating is that while people within Christianity uh, argue about the plausibility and the possibility of the, what we term the rapture, many within the New Age movement have no difficulty with the concept at all. Of course, they believe that while those who keep the planet from evolving to the next level, that would be us as Christians, we will be removed from the planet. The New Agers will ascend to a new sphere of spirit or spiritual realm where they will reconnect with loved ones who have gone on before them. 
If one didn't know better, you would think that they were talking about the rapture. They're not. What they're actually preaching, and from uh, Mersiniac's view, is they are preaching about visiting aliens coming from another planet to remove the forces that are holding this planet back from progression, development. But they say that it will happen in an instant. It seems to me that Satan knows very well the promises of God and he knows the character of God to know that God's word will be fulfilled. And so he is preparing to lie about it because Satan is a liar, the father of lies. He is a counterfeiter. And so he takes what is good and he twists it to his own purpose, taking it away from God's design. And many people are much more willing to follow his explanation than that of the written word of God. He's preparing a lie. I think that's probably why we're seeing an increase in alien UFO and spiritualist-type movies being presented to the public so that when it does happen, well, it's not quite so far-fetched. We won't be so caught off guard. He's had plenty of times to prepare an explanation. The destruction that will be taken, that, that will be accomplished by the removal of millions and millions of believers will be catastrophic to the world. And I believe the world is being conditioned to believe a great lie when the rapture takes place. Why do I believe that? Because 2 Thessalonians 2.11, you might jot that verse down, 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So I guess the question is, is it possible that Christ would return in our lifetime? And I think to a person, we would all say, yeah, I, I believe that to be true. And so you would be like the guy that says, I'm not looking for an undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. <laughs> not a bad outlook, is it? <laughs> Excuse me, a bad uplook. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be. I'm not setting dates, but I think we need to recognize the signs of the times. And I want to share some what I believe to be some fairly compelling evidence that any time now Christ could explode onto the scene, as it's been said, rupturing through the sky to rapture the saints. Can you imagine that moment rising upward into the arms and the very glory and the presence of Jesus Christ? So how will it happen? What's going to happen on earth when the rapture occurs? Say the rapture is the uptaking of those that know Christ Jesus as Savior. It's when Christ comes not to the earth, but we go to meet him in the clouds. And forever then we are with the Lord in his very presence. There will be a second coming when he does come to earth following the tribulation period in which he will come to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of that, we will be entered into the millennia or into the, the eternal state. So what's going to happen at the point of the rapture when the believers are removed from planet earth as we know it? Imagine you're driving a car and you're a Christian. You know Christ as Savior. And you've got several other people in the car and some of them may not be believers. And in an instant, they're talking to you and then you're gone. And all of a sudden they realize that they are in a car that is no longer being operated by a driver. And maybe it's not just your car. Maybe it's cars all over the highway, all over the world. 
careening all around without a driver out of control? You are going to disappear, but everything that is not eternal will be left behind. I don't want to scare you, but your clothes are probably going to stay right here. <laughs> it's okay, you're going to get a glorified body. <laughs> your clothes are going to be left behind, your wedding rings, your glasses, your cell phone. It's all going to drop right there where you stand. It's not going with you. Can you imagine the moment, the stark pandemonium that it will occur as people from all around the world disappear? Shopping malls, the shoppers just disappear. You go up to pay the teller and you hand her your credit card and then it drops to the ground. The teller's gone? Not such a bad thing, huh? <laughs> you go into the office and the boss doesn't show up? You go to the factories and the product's spilling off the end of the conveyor belt because there's nobody there to package it. You go to the classrooms and some of the students gone, some of the teachers disappear. <laughs> you go to a professional sporting event and some of the players are gone, some of the crowd, the ref, well, forgetting probably the referees. <laughs> no referees here, are there? <laughs> Maybe you've come to church and you look around and the pews go empty. The pastor, the pianist, the ushers are gone, and maybe there's just a few left. Will you still be sitting here? Hal Lindsay suggested that when Jesus returns, many churches will not have to look for a new pastor. That's a frightening thought. But let me tell you, I'm committed to stay here as long as the Lord keeps me, but when the rapture happens, I'm out of here, and I invite you to come with me. The end times are being played out, I believe, before our very eyes. From the Mideast to Russia, what's happening in the U.S. today, I believe that the panorama for the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, is being laid out like a buffet, ready to happen. It is, uh, the stage is set, awaiting the director to say, action. And those in Christ will arise into his presence. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then verse 17 says, Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Some say that every generation has thought that they are the generation that is going to meet Christ in the air, but let me tell you, that's actually not true. There have been many wise and discerning uh, theologians and preachers that have understood and have watched the times, and in fact, we go all the way back, I would have to say that probably every generation has hoped that they would be that generation, but not every generation has believed it. Sir Isaac Newton was not only a great scientist, but was also a great theologian of the 17th century. He concluded that his generation would not see the return of Christ. He didn't see the signs at the end of the end times as coming true yet. He said, about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon a literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. I'm here to tell you that I believe the word of God is a literal book. And if it is not literal, it tells us that it's not being literal. But it still has a literal interpretation, not a figurative one. And there are others of like mind who are preaching the literal word of God today. C.H. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the, 17th, or the 19th century, 
asked the question, will Jesus appear in 1866 or 1867? I am inclined to think that he will not come at any such time. It seems to me that there are a great many prophecies which must be fulfilled before the coming of Christ. We shall go on many a day yet. We may have to wait another century. Well, another century has come and gone. But my, what has happened in that century? My goodness. This leads us to a a fairly, we we won't get as in-depth as we could, but there are some lesser-known prophecies that give evidence, I believe, to the imminent return of Christ. And by the word imminent, I mean it could take place at any moment. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, or Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Probably one of the lesser-known prophecies. Daniel 12, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. This is an important prophecy. It's important for us to understand what he's talking about. I believe that the increase in knowledge is an evidence of the imminent and soon return of Jesus Christ. As we look through that verse, it makes us think of transportation, the information age, and the, the explosion of knowledge of this past century. When you stop and think about it, from the time that God created Adam to this present day, six to 8,000 years. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you the evolutionary numbers. I don't believe them. I believe the word God is accurate. Six to 8,000 years is the time span of humanity on this planet. And the amount of knowledge that has grown for all of that six, 8,000 years, except for the last 100 years, man has either walked, sailed, or rode a, a horse. For 6,000 years. But in the last 100 years, we've seen the advent of the automobile, the airplane, the jet plane, the space shuttle, all in the last 100 years. For centuries, Bible scholars interpreted this phrase, run to and fro, as a coming increase in speed and travel. Let me go back to Isaac Newton, 17th century. He said, a new mode of travel shall be invented in the last days. Knowledge will be so increased that man will be able to travel at a rate of, he's going out on a limb here, 50 miles an hour. You do that in your driveway. He was highly criticized for that statement. Voltaire, the great atheist. Well, I say that as an oxymoron. I don't believe there are any great atheists. His comment of Newton was, I believe Newton thinks that someday men will travel at 50 miles an hour. The poor dotard. Suggesting he's dull and uneducated. I wish you could see his face as he looks at the space shuttle while orbiting the earth at almost 20,000 miles an hour. That's the increase of knowledge, transportation alone. What about communication? Today has man traveling literally at the speed of light in the realm of communication. We are in the information age. Anything you want to know is just a click away. 
What used to take literally years to research is available in seconds to virtually anybody. This week, I read an article about the mass bird deaths in Arkansas over New Year's. Harvard biologist E.O. Wilson, interviewed by the Associated Press this week, he said, with the internet, cell phones, and worldwide communications, people are noticing events, connecting the dots more. Instant communications, especially when people can whip out their smartphones to take pictures of critter carcasses and post them on the internet. Instant global communication available right now. What about information? You realize it took 160 years to produce the steam engine? 160 years from concept to completion to create an operating steam engine. That was a couple hundred years ago. It took six years to create the nuclear bomb. And that was just a few decades ago. Today's technology inventions go from paper to prototype in days. They're in mass production in weeks. The phone that you hold, (laughs) by the time you buy it, they've already got a new one ready to go on market, and they've got the next generation being created, don't they? You, you, You cannot have a phone long enough before the next one is out, and there's so many new things you can do. You can hold in your hand more information capability than was stored in full buildings full of computers just a few generations ago. The knowledge explosion is going on, and it has been going on now for more than a century. And it's only increasing in speed. (laughs) Riley, let me tell on you for just a minute. He took a class on uh, marketing recently, got into internet marketing with a textbook published in 2010, 2010. It's six months out of date already. And the Bible says the increase in knowledge will lead to the end times and the coming of Jesus Christ to take his church home. Are we getting close? Knowledge does not make people better. Our society, I think, is still in its infancy, morally speaking. We have regressed morally, despite the amount of knowledge that we have. Educating somebody's mind without changing their heart only adds pride to their already sin-filled resume. Another verse maybe you haven't considered is Zechariah 14.12. You may not have ever even found that book. (laughs) Zechariah 14.12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. What does that remind us of? For years, scholars looked at this and wondered what kind of warfare could this possibly depict? Well, today we have an understanding of the destructive capabilities that were never before understood or capable. Not that man was not capable of doing destructive and horrible things. He's always been capable of that. And history tells us of the nasty, horrible things that humanity has done to itself. But nuclear warfare is a reality today. Revelation 16, 19 says, The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell. The next chapter, it says it happens in one hour. 
One hour. For years, scholars wondered, how in the world could you overtake multiple cities in merely an hour's time? Now we know. When you think of the amount of information and knowledge we have, many of you in this room watched as we harnessed the atom, developed the capabilities to destroy the entire earth in less than 30 minutes. Here's another one, and I heard it mentioned out here briefly. The Israel of nation, the nation of Israel has reestablished as of 1948-1947. The dispersed Jews have returned to Israel by the hundreds of thousands, just as the Bible had predicted would happen before Christ would return. Jeremiah 23.3, I will gather the remnants of my flock out of the countries whether I have driven them, and I will bring them again to their fold. I believe that is a literal promise. It's not figurative. God made a promise to David, the Davidic covenant, and God will fulfill his promise. And he's doing that as he brings Israel back together. He sees also Ezekiel 37. In the passage we read in verse 32 from Matthew 24, talked about the fig tree. That is the hub. That is Israel. The hub of all that goes on in the world. In verse 34, he says about, he talks about this generation that won't pass away. There is an immediate fulfillment of that, but as is so often true of biblical prophecy, there is the immediate fulfillment and there is the future fulfillment. Jesus was referring to the beginning of that chapter when he showed them the temple and said, this is all going to be destroyed. Three days, I'm going to raise it back up. Me, he's speaking of. And this generation was going to see that. Many scholars suggest that this generation that united Israel in the late 1940s would not pass away until Jesus returned. How much longer can those alive for that event continue to live? There are many other things that we could add to the list. The cashless society, nearly a done deal. Not many of us carry much cash anymore. You've heard of earthquakes, more earthquakes in your lifetime than the previous 500 years. 70% of all medicine known to mankind has been invented in your lifetime. 90% of all the scientists that have ever lived are alive today. We used to wonder how everybody on the earth could see the, the bodies of the two witnesses lying in the streets, as Revelation describes. But everybody will see it on the TV or online, played over and over and over again. It may be on YouTube. Even our missionaries in Papua New Guinea can get TV and Internet. You know, just as surely as we were on the front lines watching the shock and awe of Operation Iraqi Freedom just a few years ago, the knowledge explosion of transportation and technology today is ready to give the whole world a front view, a front row view of the end of the world. But it won't be entertainment. It will be a reality show of horror beyond imagination. <laughs> if you're old enough to get a discount at a restaurant... Then you've seen in your lifetime the divorce rate go from one in eight to one in two. You've seen the crime rate increase over 500%. percent 
You've seen the birth of the Church of Satan in 1969, which was granted tax-exempt status by the U.S. government. You've seen one world government become a very plausible reality in the very near future. We've seen the ecumenical movement bring about a one-world church. Unprecedented increases in famines, natural disasters, incurable diseases. There is an intensity building. I think we can sense that as people of God. But as a believer, you don't have to live, you need to run around with headline hysteria. That's not what we're called to. We're simply to look up for your redemption draws near. We're to faithfully and patiently watch for the coming of the Savior. He's going to come bursting through the blue, and he's going to bring us into his very presence. Can't wait for the blast of that trumpet in the twinkling of an eye. And when it says that, it means in a millisecond, in just an instant. So when the rapture occurs, if you're not saved, there won't be time to get saved. Would you let that settle on your mind? If you're thinking, well, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do what I want to do until I see it's that last moment, it won't be that moment. That moment will never come. When I see things start to happen, I'll, I'll confess. It will be too late for you. If you're a Christian and you're not living for God, there will be no time to make it right. Your salvation may be secure, but you will be ashamed when he comes. You won't be able to say, hold on just a minute. Wait, Lord, I, I need to obey you. I need to join a church. I need to, to give a tithe. I, I need to deal with the bitterness with a brother. I, there's a soul I want to save for you before I go. See, the message of the rapture is be ready because we don't know the day or the hour when he comes. Be watching. Be looking up. We cannot know the day, we cannot know the hour, but we can know the general season. In verse 32 and verse 33, notice the word know in each of these verses. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and put forth the leaves. You know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. We can observe the seasons around us. Jesus likens his coming to a thief in the night. It doesn't have to take us by surprise. We're not walking in darkness, but we are children of the light. Now, there are good men who disagree on many of the, the details and specifics of these verses, but I think we can all agree that the signs of the end are touching us today. And they're reminding us and warning us and pleading with us to be ready and to warn others so they will be ready. We don't have to be taken by surprise, though I believe most of the world will be. If I were to ask you, how many of you are waiting for the return of Christ? I'm sure that most all of you would raise your hands very quickly. But let me give you pause. That's not the question I want to ask. I want to ask the question, are you watching for his return? See, there's a difference there. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to wait for Christ's return, but we are told to watch for his return. The whole point of the story of the thief, the, the fact that he doesn't announce his coming in advance, he doesn't call and say, hey, I'm going to be hitting up a few homes in your neighborhood. Would 2 a.m. be okay next Thursday? Can I come visit your house? You would be ready for him. 
read a story about a man who worked on a riverboat and he'd be gone for 30 days at a stretch. Couldn't wait to return home. And as the boat did pull into his port, the captain announced, he says, I see many of your wives out there on, on the dock waiting for you. They're gathered. There's Bob's wife and there's George's wife. And this one fellow was disappointed because his wife wasn't there. So he caught a ride home with another couple and he walks in the door and, and there she is. And she walks up and smiles and hugs him and says, hey there, I'm so glad you're home. I've been waiting for you. And he looked at her and he said, yes, the other men's wives were watching for them. See the difference? Are you ready? Is your life in order? Did you see verse 44? Know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not as allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, verse 44, be ready for the summing, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Is your life in order? Your family, your loved ones? Will Jesus find you eagerly watching, eagerly serving in anticipation, or flirting with the world? If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, these verses tell us that you'll be left behind. There will be no hope beyond that day. There will be no hope. There will be the great tribulation. There will be an eternity in the lake of fire. That's what follows according to, to the scriptures. If you're not sure you're saved, then there's the possibility that you would be left behind. And my recommendation is don't take that chance. Some may be saved but not right with God. You have a relationship with him, but it's a poor relationship, not a good relationship. You're not experiencing the abundant life that he came to bring. In John 10, 10, he says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Are you experiencing the abundant life that Christ offers you? This is a good time of year to make sure that you are in a relationship with Christ and you have the guarantee and the promise of meeting him without shame at his return. If you have established that relationship to renew it, revive your spirit with him. Walk with him in anticipation of his soon return. Would you bow your hearts, bow your heads with me? Father, we look forward to that event that you've described as the rapture. The coming of the Lord Jesus in the clouds to meet those that love him and are watching for his appearing. What a delight that will be. But for many, Father, we recognize that there is some fear and trepidation when we speak of these things because they're not ready. And so we, they want you to delay. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would work in hearts and minds to confirm a relationship with you if indeed that is there. And for those that don't know you, that today would be the day that they would seek you out, acknowledging you as creator, as Lord, as Savior, as Redeemer as the only hope of the nations. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Savior in your own heart and mind where you sit. If you don't have the guarantee, the assurance in your heart that you are a child of God, you can deal with that right where you're at right now. 
It takes a heart of a child, trusting in the Savior and the words that he's given us. It's acknowledging your sin before a holy God and acknowledging that he is the only one that can remove it. He said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He has in his words said that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation. But he has also said that there's a free gift to those who would respond to him in faith. As an act of your will, would you acknowledge to God that you are a sinner, separate from him? But you understand that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth for the express purpose of saving us from our sin. Confess your sin to him, your need of him, and invite him to come and live in your life. And his promise, his guarantee, is that he had in no wise cast out those who would come to him. You might pray something to this effect. Dear God, I understand that I am a sinner. I understand now the consequences of rejecting you. I also understand that you offer a free gift because of what Jesus did on the cross, taking my sin on his own body and giving me his righteousness. I accept that gift right now. Make me a new person in Christ. And his promise is he will fulfill his word. Maybe you sit here as a Christian today and you've thought, well, my life hasn't been going so well. I've been struggling with a lot of issues. And if Christ were to come today, I would be ashamed. And I need to do business with him. Maybe there is an issue of bitterness. Maybe there's a conflict that hasn't been resolved. Maybe there's a sinful pattern that you're nursing along, not gaining victory over. Would you confess that to him right now? Father, thank you for these moments of contemplation, reminding ourselves that the promise of Christ true. You have gone to prepare a place for us, and you're coming again to receive us to yourself, that where you are, we can be also. What a glory to dwell in your presence. But Lord, help us to not wait until that day, but to experience that even today, walking and abiding with you moment by moment, day by day. And we'll thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing a closing song, a couple of verses? What if it were today? Would that be glory? I trust it will be. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign, what if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified, over this whole world scattered wide, what if it were today? 
shall be crowned him king.